Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. You're listening to Comedy Central. From the most trusted journalists at Comedy Central, it's America's only source for news. This is The Daily Show with your host, John Stewart. Short. This is three. the third episode. This is my third episode. The first two, very controversial. A lot of discourse around it. A lot of carping back and forth. A lot of anger. A lot of commentary. Tonight, I'm done with it. <laughs> Tonight is perhaps an amuse-bouche, a trifle, something light. Tonight, we discuss Israel Palestine. <laughs> Are we? Who wrote this? <laughs> well, I legally have to read what's in the prompter, so. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> We're going to take a look in our new and probably never ending segment. new, but tonight <laughs> we discuss Israel-Palestine. Any discussion of Israel-Palestine is not meant to endorse or justify all the actions of either side. Mentions of Hamas that fail to condemn Hamas do not mean we don't condemn Hamas. Do not listen to this segment if you're predisposed to anti-Semitism or Islamophobia. Common side effects of discussing in the Middle East are depression, anxiety, infections of the perineum, and craving Hamas. This is an awful situation. We're, we're coming off uh, on five months of a brutal bombing campaign brought on by a horrific massacre and hostage taking. And we seem no closer to ending anything but the reigns of a couple of Ivy League presidents. <laughs> well, this weekend, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu finally laid out 
his plan for peace. Benjamin Netanyahu is calling for complete demilitarization of Gaza, as well as Israel taking over security and controlling entry and exit points to Gaza. So your peace plan is a siege, <laughs> a military siege. You really think a military solution ends this cycle? Victory is within reach, and you can't have victory until you uh, eliminate Hamas. But, okay, but your plan to eliminate Hamas by destroying all of Gaza, uh, doesn't that just make more Hamases? Is that the plural of Hamas? Hamasai? I mean, it's an idea. Palestinian liberation is an idea. Unless you have a bomb that kills ideas, do you have a bomb that kills ideas? <laughs> I mean, how long would it even take to bomb this shit out of an idea? The intense phase of the fighting is weeks away from completion. Not months, weeks away from completion. Oh, dear God. <laughs> if you insist on this plan, if you think that ends Hamas... I believe we in the United States have a banner you can use. Um, it's a little wind damaged, but equally delusional. Look, the United States is Israel's closest ally, Israel's big brother in the fraternity of nations, Israel's work emergency contact. Maybe it's time for the U.S. to give Israel some tough moral love. This is shameful. There has to be accountability for these war crimes. No targeting civilians in war. Stop the war crimes and the atrocities and end the war today. It could happen right now. Right now! Thank you! These atrocities must be... Sorry, I'm being told the administration was talking about Russia bombing Ukraine. I apologize. <laughs> Also a war crime. Uh, but I'm sure they're giving equally stern advice to Israel. The Biden administration is urging Israel to be much more careful, to be more cautious. How Israel does this matters. Israel must do more to protect innocent civilians. We want to see the government of Israel take steps to minimize civilian harm. Be more surgical and more precise. Be more careful. Hey, Israel! Take it to the nuts. <laughs> Could you please be more careful with your bombing? It's good advice. But really, couldn't the United States have told Israel that when we gave them all the bombs? We're, there are bombs. There's, this is like your Coke dealer coming in with an eight ball and going, don't stay up all night. Don't. Sleep is very important. You got to sleep. You don't want to. It's, uh, and breakfast is an important part of the day. So, <laughs> Look, the Israeli position doesn't seem so tenable. Perhaps I can find some diplomatic leeway in the Hamas position. Israel is a country that has no place on our land. We must remove that country. Does that mean the annihilation of Israel? Uh, yes, of course. I cannot find <laughs> diplomatic leeway in the Hamas position. <laughs> well, this is when we need the world, the civilized world of nations, 
to come together and stop this madness. A resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza has just failed to pass. A UN Security Council draft resolution to allow aid delivery has been vetoed. Russia and China used their veto against an American resolution condemning Hamas. The immediate ceasefire in Gaza has failed. Western nations voted against it. It was delayed four times this week. Draft resolution has not been adopted. Why do you even have a f***ing building? <laughs> Why do you? We could use that. We have a housing crisis. Give us back our building. This is not right. What is? What is the United Nations even? What are you? Just a support system for a diverse and pleasing food court? What are you? <laughs> that cannot be the UN's food court, by the way. That is. That is clearly just a mall in Long Island. <laughs> Doesn't anyone care about the suffering of all these civilians? What about a good neighbor, Saudi Arabia? The Palestinian cause is the Arab world's most important cause. I want to see really a good life for the Palestinians. Thank you, Saudi Arabia, thank you. And while Saudi Arabia does not accept Palestinian refugees and Egypt, doesn't either, for that matter. The Saudis are the richest country in the region, and they've given... <coughs> this can't be right. Uh, on average, about $200 million a year to the Palestinians. Jesus, are you kidding me? The Saudis have given just as much money to Phil Mickelson. <laughs> Is that true? I assume... I assume... To promote the equally important cause of the Mickelsonian people. <laughs> so Israel, the United States, the United Nations, the Arab nations, no one seems to be incentivized to stop the suffering of the innocent people in this region. Now, I didn't want to bring this up, but there is another player. Small religious startup out of Bethlehem. <laughs> I think it might have began as a carpenter's union, but... <laughs> has gotten big. <laughs> Do they have a plan for the Middle East? There will be the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus Christ is going to sweep over that battlefield and to annihilate that army of 200 million people. The blood will flow to the bridle of a horse. So oh, that's the plan for the Prince of Peace, is that so? I am not an equestrian expert, uh, but if the blood goes all the way to the bridle, that's an enormous amount of blood, no? Unless, uh, are we talking about the mini horses? Because that's still, it's a lot of blood, but more manageable. And adorable. Look, I think, I think we have to get real here. The status quo cycle of provocation and retribution is predicated on some idea that one of these groups is going to go away. And they are not. If we want a safe and free Israel and a safe and free Palestine, 
We have to recognize that reality. And I know that there is a twisted and much contested history in the region that has brought us to this point. But we are at this point. And anything we do from here has to look forward. So tonight, lucky you. I'm going to do that with not one, not two, but a three. <laughs> Solutions for peace. Number one. Along the shores of Pleasant Lake in Maine, 95 Israeli and Palestinian teens are trading rockets for rackets. The goal of Seeds of Peace is to open these young minds. Okay, that one hasn't been scaled up yet. And may take longer than we have. Unless we just bring the whole region to Maine. <laughs> How fast can we make 14 million rackets? <laughs> but that's just my opening offer. That was just one peace plan, people. Don't abandon me yet. Number two. <laughs> Let's just ask God. It's his house. <laughs> He's the one who started all this. Just ask God. can tell us who is right. Is it the Jews? Is it the Muslims? Is it the Zoroastrians? If it's the Scientologists, a lot of us are going to have egg on our faces. <laughs> but given God's lack of communication over this past, let's say millennia, <laughs> all right, here's another one. And heaven forbid, I actually think this last one could work. Starting now, no preconditions, no earned trust, no partners for peace. Israel stops bombing. Hamas releases the hostages. The Arab countries who claim Palestine is their top priority come in and form a demilitarized zone between Israel and a free Palestinian state. The Saudis, Egypt, UAE, Qatar, Jordan, they all form like a NATO arrangement guaranteeing security for both sides. Obviously, they won't call it NATO. It's the Middle East <laughs> Treaty Organization. It's me too. It's Tweet it out. Me too. Tonight, people, let's get this region me tooed. Now, obviously, I have not worked out the exact verbiage, but anything is better than the cluster f cycle we have now. Because honestly, what is the alternative? The trump of God sounds and the rapture happens. We're gone. In the twinkling of an eye, we're just simply not here. Poof indeed, sir. <laughs> Poof indeed. <laughs> when we come back, Murtaza Hussein and Yaya Rosenberg will be joining me on the program and fixing everything I said. Don't go away. <laughs> This 
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Conversation about Israel and Palestine. Please welcome senior writer at The Intercept, Murtaza Hussein, and staff writer at The Atlantic, Yair Rosenberg. Please welcome. Them. Very rarely do you get a standing ovation for uh, uh, the guests, but clearly they think Muslim and Jew sitting next to each other? How can that be? Uh, But thank you both for being here. Uh, You are both, obviously, you're American writers that write a lot about the Middle East. The peace plan, uh, the Stewart plan, as I call it, the Me Too plan, uh, and Murtaza, we'll start with you. Uh, how unrealistic is that? It's similar to a 2002 Arab League resolution. Uh, why? Why can't this happen? Well, you know, it's not a bad idea. And on paper... We're going to cut there. Thank you so much, Murtaza. <laughs> so appreciate that. Well, you know, I think the problem is, I, I write about U.S. foreign policy, especially in the Middle East, and I feel that the consistent theme here is that when we give blank checks to countries which are clients or partners, we enable their worst tendencies or their worst behaviors. In mm-hmm. this case, you, know, you mentioned the Arab peace plan. In 2002, the Arab League offered Israel full 
political, economic, diplomatic normalization. In exchange for the main crux of it is creating a Palestinian state in the 1967 borders, which is in line with international law and so forth. Right. They've reiterated and a repatriation plan, which which can I be think. negotiated the the, deal, the details of it. But that right. was the crux of it. And you know they've reiterated this plan many many times, including recently. And it's not just the Arab world, the broader Muslim world as well too. I interviewed the Pakistani ambassador to the UN a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He told me that Pakistan, Indonesia, other large population Muslim countries would be willing to normalize with Israel, but they do not want the Palestinians to be thrown under the bus. There needs to be a two-state solution, in their view, mm-hmm. creating a state in those lines. Without that, they cannot be. But the Israeli government has never responded to this deal. It's not even rejected it. It's refused to engage. And I think the main reason is because they have the U.S. as a guarantor. Whatever they do, they'll have a superpower backing. And many people in Israel want the West Bank. And the Israeli government, Benjamin Netanyahu, has bragged that he's stopped the Palestinian state from coming into existence. And because they have this backing, they don't need to compromise with their neighbors or right. engage with their neighbors substantially. Do you think the U.S. backing of that enables I think, this reticence? I think the U.S. putting itself right. in this position, not just this position, many other situations where right. it acts as a blank check writer for its clients, it enables these situations. Well, we've got to make back. money somehow. And uh, without selling weapons, what are we going to fall back on? Wheat? Come on. Yeah, you probably have a slightly different uh, interpretation of, of that peace plan and also uh, what we laid out here. So, yeah. Well, I think that, the, again, the idea is actually a pretty good one, which is the idea to put some third party in between these two parties. That's what seems like has to. That would then be sort of like the, you know, the referee. The problem is, is that, while you, as you showed in your monologue, the Arab states are willing uh, to talk a big game. Um, the United States, and sometimes, depending on the administration, will also talk a big game. But no one actually wants to put their own troops down there. Can you imagine America under Democratic presidents who are retrenching from the Middle East, mm-hmm. right, trying to get out of the forever wars? Or Donald Trump, who wants to turn America into some sort of isolationist country, get us out of, you know, stops helping Ukraine, right? They're not going to stick Americans there, right? The Arab countries, no different. They, they'll, they'll, you know, give a token amount of money and then try to, like, you know, make it go away. Um, and so that's, I think, the, the fundamental flaw here. I will say that if you took away U.S. backing, and said, Israelis, we're going to put some other people on your border, particularly, say, Arab states, and they're going to be the guarantors of your security, the Israelis wouldn't say, well, I guess we don't have the Americans. We're just going to pack it up. Right. Because this is a country... Nobody's going anywhere. Yeah. And and also, this is a country that's full of people, right, who fled other countries, including those Arab countries, because they were persecuted, right, killed, dispossessed, right? There's like, you know, half of Israelis are now Middle Eastern origin. But two diasporas don't make a right. Of and course it's, not. You know, but it's, they won't, the they won't trust that, But let me, let, me, let me push back on both of these for just one second. So, and this just pushes back on both. You know, we get into this litigation of, well, the Palestinians and the Arab state, they propose something very reasonable to the Israelis, but the Israelis wouldn't do it. And the Israelis say, well, we don't have a partner for peace, and we propose something very reasonable, but they didn't do it. Doesn't it appear that no party is incentivized to fix this at the peril and detriment to the Palestinian people. And, and here's what I mean by that. Egypt has its border closed to the Palestinians. These are autocratic states in the Arab world. They all view the creation of Israel as a humiliation. If that's where they start from, it's a very easy kind of issue to deflect attention from your own dictatorships to own the so-called Arab street with anger towards Israel, but the Saudis, they all do business together. Aren't they disincentivized to fix this? Netanyahu, whenever he gets in political trouble, 
suddenly there's a war. So who is incentivized to actually fix this? And isn't the people who really suffer from all of it just the Palestinians who get no regard from any group, no real support? You know, I think that was the case for some time, but I think that things have changed in the sense that the Arab countries are very eager to get this off their plate, actually. That's why they had this Arab Peace Initiative and keep reiterating it, because they no longer want to have a conflict with Israel. It's not in their interest. They'd like to move past it, but they cannot do so in a way which ignores the Palestinians. And I think that the idea of the Abraham yeah. Accords, for instance, was let's just sidestep this issue and make deals with the Emiratis and the Saudis and so forth. I was in Saudi Arabia recently, and I was talking to a broad range of people. I think the idea that the Saudis will you make a deal with Israel without a two-state solution or meaningful pathway to one or significant concessions on that subject, it's very unrealistic because... No, that's my the, point, yes. is, is the two-state solution. But if nobody is there to just guarantee... Everybody has preconditions for everything. You know, Netanyahu, I need a partner for... If, if you don't meet these certain conditions of no violence, I won't negotiate with you. Well, America occupied Iraq. And there was violence there the entire time. I mean, imagine if we had set a precondition that there'd be no Iraqi government unless, you know, this violence would end. It, nothing would ever. It seems like nobody's actually being honest or genuine in the region about their aims. I would put it a little differently, which is to say that the people who are That's running why you're the a show. scholar and I'm a comedian. We'll see. We'll see when it's done. The people who are running the show for some time, which is how we arrive at this disastrous des destination, are these absolutist actors who they might say that we'll negotiate and here's a condition and here's, you know, whatever. They might say that to some people, but in practice we see from, you know, many years of Netanyahu governance, uh, every single document and statement as you showed of, you know, people from Hamas, right? These are people who want everything, right? They see half of the people in the land as the problem, right? And then the question is how you negotiate. The absolutists. Yeah, the absolutists. Okay. And then there are lots of people who are also pragmatists. And that's how we had a peace process that failed. But there were genuine majorities in the polls at the time among Israelis and Palestinians behind negotiations for two states. And so there always are those people. They might be a minority. They might be a majority at a given point in time during a war right now. They're a minority. Right. But there's always those people who say this is not going to be solved with weapons. We need to find a way to live together. But, but we're not how, supporting how could those it people. ever be solved if the United States and Israel, the two, let's face it, most hated entities in that part of the world are the ones responsible for the peacekeeping effort. It, it doesn't make any no, sense if the Arabs Arab don't yeah. step in, if the Arab nation's there. And couldn't you say that this was a great bulwark against the strength of Iran? Couldn't you convince UAE and Saudis that the only way to temper Tehran is by forming this alliance and recognizing them? Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that uh, the U.S. stance in the region is very unpopular. I think it's related to this issue. This is the core issue of why the U.S. has not had normal relations with the Arab world and Muslim world generally. It's a very bitter and uh, symbolic issue for a lot of people. We do have normal relations. Well, we not, we not, sell not, more not, weapons uh, to the Saudis than we do on, to the Israelis. On a, pub, on a public level, or like, you know, only with dictators, for instance. The, the reason this democracy is very skeptical in the Arab world, we're afraid that regimes which are mad at us will come to power. But I think the main issue, I think from a U.S. perspective, primarily, is that we're involved in this very bitter conflict. We're not taking it seriously and solving it. We take a very one-sided approach, I think. And we do that supposedly in Israel's interest, but I think what it does in reality is prolong the conflict indefinitely to everyone's detriment. I had come to the position that we should either be fair in this conflict and adjudicate it in a way which is fair and results in a just solution both sides accept, or we should leave. We should leave because impacting us in very, very negative ways 
militarily, economically, strategically. We have other problems in the world to deal with as well, too. And I believe that if the U.S. were to pull what I'd say is a blank check from Israel, it would incentivize Israel to compromise more. Because ultimately, Israel has to live in the Middle East. It's, that's where the country is. That's where the people are going to be. They're neighbors who are willing to compromise with we, us. We could move them to Maine. Maine is wide open. <laughs> they, could, they could play tennis. Right, right. But I, I hear your point. But uh, to that, I do think that the idea that this is all about the United States, that we are the actor that drives all that, I think plays into a myth of United States control. And I think if we've learned anything in these last 20 to 30 years of the United States is we've got big influence, but we sure as hell don't have control. And I'm not so sure that by the U.S. changing its policy in certain ways, that that solves this. What's your thought on that? Yeah, well, I mean, John, that's a very controversial thing to say that the United States is not the main character of the entire planet. Then I'm, I'm sure going to say you said it, and I didn't say it. That was him. Okay. <laughs> you know, because, you know, this is not live, so maybe we'll cut that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, that, that is clearly the case. There is this sort of sense that a lot of people have that the United States and the president of the United States in particular have the ability to sort of wave a magic wand and solve these things. If they could, there are multiple American presidents who would have done so. Um, and they would have changed the policies and they would have tried and there were always people in different factions in the State Department and they tried different things. You go back to Eisenhower and Nixon, they all had plans, right? And, these, and you know, they pressured Israel in ways that, you know, presidents today don't. But there's a reason why we moved in different directions because they thought maybe we, if we are, you know, more, you know, involved. And one thing I want to say to this, though, is that a lot of people want to see a solution in the Middle East, but they also want to see the U.S. get out of the Middle East. And those two things are in contradiction. And people are ultimately going to have to make choices about what the U.S. does and doesn't do. And but you I don't have necessarily have the answer to and that. And not but. be so involved in the region. I yeah. do think if there is, to your point, if uh, the Arab states form a, a, a more broader alliance with Israel in a genuine way, and that the United States wouldn't feel maybe that it had to be on the line there. Listen, I'm no fan of, of any of it. I think this cycle of violence over the 75 years is destroying the dreams of two peoples not just the Palestinians. I think it's destroying the dream of the Israeli people as well. And uh, so I, I think that what we're doing now clearly and what we've been doing is a cycle that we have to pull out of. And, and I imagine, you know, that's the thing that ultimately has to happen. We're talking to Murtaza Hussein and Yair Rosenberg, and we talked a little bit about uh, some of the things that could help break the cycle of violence in the Middle East. You know, the act of the two of you sitting here having this conversation is almost rebellious or revolutionary in, in the current moment. How do you counsel Americans in this moment to be able to, you know, not lose so many Facebook friends uh, <laughs> when, when it comes to all this? Is, is there any advice that you guys have? I'll take that first. Well, the backstory of the two of us is that we've been having these conversations for something like 10 years. Um, and the Further backstory is that we reached out to each other on Twitter because we both realized that we shared a lot in common about how we approached the world, but we had very different opinions on issues like these. And that's how we became friends some 10 years ago, is it? That's one of them, yeah. And like, and so, we've, had, we've been doing this over, you know, at kosher, in kosher restaurants because for Sunni Muslims, many of them, uh, kosher meat is halal. And so I will take Murtaza to a kosher restaurant and introduce him to it. And then we'll have conversations like these. And John is just, you know, interloping, you know, just sort of, you know, we decided to I'll let him come. the check. We exactly, there we go. Um, and so and what, it, what it is, is we refuse to allow ourselves or our communities to be held hostage to a ruinous conflict thousands of miles away that we may never be able to fully resolve or fix. Right. But we can have an impact about how we treat each other here. 
And the other thing you know, I would say is that we both are both journalists, and one of the things that motivates us is um, our pursuit of truth and what is true. And we share that even when we disagree. It's because we came to different conceptions, and we really right. believe the other is honest. Yeah, that's well said. Well, you know, ultimately, as Yair mentioned, we're journalists, and you know, we seek out people's perspectives who are different from you, who see from a different world, see the world from a different view, and then that's how you learn about the world a little bit. And I think I have to say that it's easier for us too, though, because yeah. we're not Israeli and not Palestinian. Ultimately, we're American, and American we, we view it that way. You know, both of us know people whose families members have been killed recently, many dozens in some cases in Gaza recently, and you know that emotional component you can compartmentalize it when you're not so directly involved. So we look at it to an American perspective, two different sides of this issue in some sense, but we're able to have that conversation, which is constructive. What I would say, you know, I could accept any Palestinian's view or any Israeli's view when they're so intimately involved in it, but I can never respect a bloodthirsty American. That's the only person I cannot respect. So, And it is. You know, I, I have said this for many years. One of the biggest issues I have with American foreign policy is how cavalier it is about the destruction that so many uh, of our policies have had internationally. Even something as simple as, you know, uh, we had a big issue here with burn pits with uh, Iraqi war veterans and Afghan war veterans. And we talked a lot about getting them the help they need here. But the thing nobody ever talked about was what those did to the environment in Iraq and Afghanistan, we left. And I think our policies oftentimes are cavalier to the destruction that occurs. A report from Iraq, and I met so many people whose family members were killed by the US military or by the, the violence that took place in that time. Also, very elevated rates of cancer and other indirect sure. causes of the I'm war. Sure. And it's kind, of not, it's kind of forgotten, actually. Those people, are, their lives go on. But you know, the impact that we had in a very cavalier moment you know, to us, we kind of, the news cycle moves on. So, but you know, those memories stay and it impacts our ability to operate there or how we're viewed there in the future. So it's something which, you know, it's maybe very pessimistic about US foreign policy in the sense that uh, I know many, at the end of the Cold War, there was an optimistic view, we can make the world a better place. I think that's okay, it's true in some cases, but I'm a lot more hesitant to get the US deeply involved because there's a very negative track record. I think there's a mythology around sort of the Marshall Plan. And it's that, you know, after World War II, we said, oh, well, we were in war with Germany and Japan and we threw a bunch of money at it and now we're the best of friends and they buy our cars and we buy their cars and it's all lovely and all it takes is a little bit of money and some American know-how and we can turn the world uh, into allies. I, I think we might have learned the wrong message from all that. I'd also say from reporting around the world myself, um, when you talk to people, mm -hmm. this can have the wrong impact. If you have a great mythology about yourself and how you fix all the world's problems, then some people will say, how can the Americans not fix this problem? And they're like, no, they believe us. People believe us. <laughs> right? And I will say to them, actually, there are a tremendous number of incredibly well-meaning people serving our country trying to do this stuff. It's just really hard. Right. Uh, but we, there's minds. a certain story that we've told, and sometimes people, people really expect us to make good on it. And right. it, There are impossible promises that we can't keep. How do you guys negotiate this pragmatic view within your own families? Because I know within, you know, there is no, you, I can't get five Jews to agree on anything at dinner. Like, <laughs> how do you negotiate that within your own families? You know, I think there's the personality type that tries to really hear where people are coming from and speak How to... How do you get one of those in your family? Sheer dumb luck, or your dad is a rabbi, <laughs> in my case. Right. You know, and so that's what you do as the rabbi, right? And you're trying to understand where everyone in the audience is coming from. Your synagogue can be diverse, and there are people with different political and ideological perspectives. And how do you tell them the truth and stay true to that? 
um, while also saying, you know, speaking to each of them. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's a type of personality. Um, you see it in different, there are different kinds of political leaders and spiritual leaders who manage to do this. And there are others who feel like, what's the hardest, sharpest, best viral slogan I can use on Twitter, right, to own the other side. Right. And by the way, when we were younger, I mean, I don't speak for you, we were like that. I was much more hot-headed yeah. when I was younger. And really? Yeah, yeah, when we first met. You guys seem the opposite of hot-headed. Like, it's... We aged a lot. I Honestly, I In feel like, like I want time. this as my screensaver. Like, I, this is so calming to me that I... Uh, uh, what about you? Same. So let me ask you this, this thing, because that brings up an interesting point. What mitigated the rashness? Was it just youth? What, what got you guys less visceral. Yeah, I think getting older is one aspect of it. But then also, you know, reading a lot of books, trying to see other people's perspective, travel, that has a big impact on things. Keeping open mind, uh, trying to treat others consistently as you want to be treated, keeping that golden rule in mind as well, too. I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned family. It's interesting because I've had conversations with family. I have family very spread out over the world. And, you know, certain experiences can be very resonant with people. I had an uncle who lives in a, Pakistan. And, you know, he was very critical of the U.S. war in Afghanistan. He thought that it was very, very bad. He said a lot of things. He visited Kabul, and that's kind of what put this in his mind. He said, well, look, there's nothing is being built here. It's all falling apart. They didn't make anything good from their presence here. It's just very exploitative. And then he actually visited New York one day, and he visited the subway system. And he's like, oh, now I get it, actually. It's not there on purpose. They just can't do it, actually. So, you know, there are moments like that. That's hilarious. Uh, I mean, you look at, I mean, this is where we're getting to yeah. the jokes portion, which is hard in this topic. Very hard. And like people ask me, like, how do I conceptualize? Like Hamas has, what is the New York Times has, 350 to 450 miles of tunnels underneath Gaza. And it's like, to think, think of it this way, it would cost New York City $648 quadrillion over 268 years to build that much tunnel. Right. Um, you know, it's just a really well, large Well, just raise the price to $1.50 a ride, and then that's <laughs> problem solved. $2 a ride. Uh, I appreciate you both so much for coming on and having the conversation, and really just admire both of you, uh, not just for having this conversation, but uh, your journalism as well. It's, it's really fantastic stuff, so thank you both. Uh, Murtaza Hussein and Yair This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hello, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Before we go, we're going to check in with your host for the rest of this week, Michael Costa. Michael, so nice to see you. Uh, the people are clamoring for you. Yeah. Uh, what are the stories you're going to be covering this week? Well, we're going to be covering the big political event in this country, John. President Biden is taking a trip to the border on the same day that Donald Trump is taking a trip to the border. The question, John, is which border? So <laughs> tune in this week to find out. Thanks, everybody. Michael, Thank you. you don't need to clap for him. That's not, I'm pretty sure. Michael, I'm pretty sure it's the U.S. Mexico border, so I don't think that I'm going to. Dude, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler. I'm sorry. I, I mean, it's just. <laughs> Michael, I'm not even going to do everybody. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so I know we're only three episodes into this, uh, but if you'll indulge me, I wanted to tell you a a little bit of a story. Um, About 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, uh, my kids wanted to raise a little money for an animal shelter uh, down in in New York City. It's uh, incredible. Animal Haven is the name of it. They do incredible work. It's a no-kill shelter for uh, cats and dogs. And uh, so, yeah, please, they're, they're amazing. So they were little, six, seven years old. So we uh, uh, baked a couple of cupcakes and uh, rolled on down to Animal Haven and set up a little uh, table right outside and and put the cupcakes out. And as a little extra incentive, uh, they brought out this one-ish year old Brindle Pitbull uh, who... uh, hit, Hit by a car in Brooklyn and lost his right leg. I thought I'd get further. Um, So it was a perfect idea. They put the dog in my lap and uh, we left that day feeling really good that we'd helped this great organization. And we also left with this This one-ish year old Brindle Pitbull. We called him Tipper. And uh, in a world of good boys, he was the best. Um, He used to come to the Daily Show every day. He was part of the OG Daily Show dog crew. (laughs) Parker, Quali, Tipper, Riot, they were were the OGs in the office. Um, 
and they were, Dipper would wait, and we'd come and take the show, and Dipper would wait for me uh, to be done. And uh, he met actors and authors and presidents and kings, and he did, he did what the Taliban could not do, which is put a scare into Malala Yousafzai. <laughs> Um, Dipper passed away yesterday. He was ready. He was tired. But I wasn't. And the family, we were all together, thank goodness, we were all with him. But boy, my wish for you is one day you find that dog, that one dog. It just is the best. Explore more shows from The Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now.